0: Hey folks, Kyle Rittenhouse has been acquitted of all the criminal charges against him, the only possible verdict consistent with justice in a case with this evidence in law. Having been acquitted in criminal court, he is now free of any possible criminal liability for his actions and lawfully defending himself on August 25th, 2020. Now, however, there remains the possibility that he might be sued in civil court, either by survivor Gage Grosskreutz for the vaporization of his bicep when Kyle shot him in self-defense, or by the families of Joseph Rosenbaum or Anthony Huber in wrongful death actions for Kyle's killing of those two men again in self-defense. In particular, I'm getting a lot of inquiries as to whether Kyle Rittenhouse might find protection from any such civil suits under Wisconsin's self-defense immunity statute. So that's the focus of today's content. Now, there are certainly lawsuits that are flying around this case. Uh, I believe they are entirely focused on seeking compensation from the government of Kenosha, uh, largely on the legal premise that the authorities had constructively, if not formally, deputized the men present with AR rifles, including, of course, Kyle, and therefore that the city's responsible for their conduct. It's not much of a legal argument, really, but I guess you work with what you've got. In any case, I'm unaware of any civil suits filed against Kyle, but such suits certainly could be filed. So I'm getting a lot of inquiries as to how the civic court dynamics might play out here and whether, again, Kyle might avail himself of the state's self-defense immunity statute. Now, self-defense immunity is best thought of as a way to arrive at a determination of privileged use of force in self-defense in a relatively cost-effective and timely pre-trial hearing and possibly avoiding the tremendous cost and risk of a full-blown trial. So absent self-defense immunity, a full-blown trial is the only way to combat a prosecutor intent on bringing you to trial on a use of force charge. So he brings you to trial on a criminal charge based on your underlying use of force, maybe murder or manslaughter, for example, if you shot somebody dead. And at trial, you raise the legal defense of self-defense. Sure, I shot him dead, but I meet all the conditions required for lawful self-defense, or more accurately, the state can't disprove any of those conditions beyond a reasonable doubt. And therefore, the killing is legally justified or privileged, as Wisconsin prefers to put it. This traditional way of combating a charge of unlawful use of force can work, of course, as we've just seen in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, and as we've seen in many other cases, including that of George Zimmerman. But a full-blown trial is an incredibly costly and time-consuming affair and risky. In terms of cost... A case involving a killing charge, as both Rittenhouse and Zimmerman's did, can easily burn through $200,000 before it even gets to trial, just in pre-trial expenses. Then the trial can readily be a multiple of that cost. I'm reliably informed, for example, that the Zimmerman defense billed out at close to $2 million. By the way, folks, good place to plug the sponsor of today's content, CCW Safe, a provider of legal service memberships. What many people mistakenly call self-defense insurance. In effect, CCW Safe promises to pay its legal expenses of its members if the members involved in a use of force event and is facing liability for that. Had Zimmerman been a member of CCW Safe, his entire legal bill, all two million, would have been covered. Of course, CCW Safe didn't exist at the time. Indeed, it was cases like that that led to the creation of CCW Safe. Now, I've looked at all the companies that offer this kind of service. As you might imagine, I found that CCW Safe is by far the best fit for me. I'm personally a member. My wife Emily is personally a member. Whether they're the best fit for you is something only you can decide, but I do urge you to take a look at what they have to offer by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. And if you do decide to become a member there, you can save 10% off your membership using the discount code LOSD10. That's L-O-S-D for Law of Self-Defense and the number 10 at that URL, lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. Okay, so those were the uh, cost dynamics of a full-blown trial. Let's talk about time. It's not unusual for a case involving a killing charge, murder, or manslaughter to take a year or a year and a half or longer to get from the event to trial, and then perhaps consume more weeks at trial. And during all this time, the defendant's life is essentially frozen. One does not make too many long-term plans when there's a decent prospect you might be spending the rest of your life in a cage. And of course, there's risk at the trial. I often tell the clients in the cases I consult on that anyone we put in front of a jury has perhaps a 10% chance of being convicted, no matter how innocent they may be. That's just the noise in the system and a reflection of the reality that juries are dangerous and unpredictable creatures. Nearly all of that cost, time, and risk of a full-blown trial can be sidestepped through the wonders of self-defense immunity. How self-defense immunity works in practice is that a person facing a criminal or civil trial based on their use of force can demand a pre-trial self-defense immunity hearing. Uh, Note, these are very often mistakenly referred to as a stand your ground hearing. Anytime you hear that phrase spoken, you can be fairly certain the speaker has no idea what they are talking about and what is really being heard is not stand your ground, but self-defense immunity. There's no such thing as a hearing to determine stand your ground there may be a hearing to determine self-defense immunity. So the person facing the legal liability for a use of force event demands a pre-trial self-defense immunity hearing. There's no jury at this hearing, no jury selected until the trial, and we're still pre-trial. Instead, we have a kind of mini trial at this hearing where the defense will argue their narrative of self-defense, the state will argue against self-defense, and the judge will act as both judge and as finder of fact. That's the role normally taken by a jury at a trial. In this mini-trial, the defense has the burden to prove self-defense by a preponderance, a majority of the evidence to the satisfaction of the hearing judge, who is usually the same judge who will be the trial judge should things go to trial. If they convince the hearing judge that they've met their burden, the judge grants immunity from criminal prosecution and or civil suit. Now, I should mention the burden threshold for self-defense immunity do vary among the states. I've described the most common arrangement. In Florida, for example, the state must instead disprove self-defense by clear and convincing evidence in order to defeat a motion for self-defense immunity. I mentioned that the judge would award immunity for criminal and or civil liability because which of those forms of immunity is available varies by state. Some states like Florida allow for both criminal and civil immunity to be granted at a self-defense immunity hearing. Other states allow for criminal immunity, immunity from criminal prosecution, but not civil immunity. So no immunity from civil suits. And other states do the reverse and provide for civil immunity, but not criminal immunity. Indeed, while Wisconsin law does provide for self-defense immunity, it does so only in the civil context and not in the criminal context. So a defender can demand that pre-trial hearing, successfully argue self-defense, and be granted immunity from a civil suit, but that does nothing to immunize them against criminal prosecution. Of course, Kyle Rittenhouse was just acquitted, so under the doctrine of double jeopardy, he's already immune from criminal prosecution. All he needs now is civil immunity, so I guess he'll be taking advantage of the Wisconsin self-defense immunity doctrine for civil liability, right? Well, no. Unfortunately, the self-defense immunity process I described a moment ago with the mini-trial and so forth isn't available as unconditionally in Wisconsin as it is in other states. Instead, Wisconsin wraps its self-defense immunity privilege in a blanket of completely unrelated self-defense law doctrine, the doctrine of a legal presumption of reasonableness in the use of force in the context of an intruder into highly defensible property. So let me explain how these legal presumption laws work in the context of highly defensible property. Uh, Many states have a special law that creates a legal presumption that a defender, of highly defensible property against a forcible and unlawful intruder into that property had at the time a reasonable fear of imminent deadly force harm. This essentially gives that defender every one of the legal elements needed to justify his use of deadly force on the intruder. The only element not presumed is the element of innocence, and that one's kind of baked into the cake if a homeowner is facing off against an intruder. What counts as highly defensible property for purposes of this legal presumption law varies by state. The home is always included, assuming the state has the legal presumption law at all. And many states also include one's occupied vehicle and one's business. And indeed, Wisconsin's definition of highly defensible property includes all three, home, occupied vehicle, and business. So if you're defending your home, occupied vehicle, business against a forcible and unlawful intruder, and also meet a few other conditions and also avoid a few specific exclusions, you get the benefit of being legally presumed to be privileged to use deadly defensive force. Awesome. Now we have these two different legal doctrines we're working with. We have self-defense immunity on the one hand and legal presumptions of reasonableness on the other hand, which I've both just described. Some states have one. Some states have the other, some states have both. Wisconsin has both. But rather than keeping these two doctrines separate, as every other state with both does, Wisconsin buries its civil self-defense immunity privilege into the conditions for its legal presumption of reasonableness statute. That means that all the circumstances, conditions, and exclusions of the Wisconsin legal presumption law now also apply in the context of qualifying for Wisconsin's civil self-defense immunity. In other words, you only qualify to even request that pretrial civil self-defense immunity hearing in the first place if your use of force occurred in the context of defending your home, occupied vehicle, or business from a forcible and unlawful intruder. And unfortunately for Kyle, None of his use of force the night of August 25th, 2020 involved him defending his home, occupied vehicle, or business from a forcible and unlawful intruder. So he doesn't even qualify to request a pretrial civil self-defense immunity hearing in the first place, and so would never even have the opportunity to argue for immunity at all. So bottom line, no self-defense immunity possibility exists for Kyle, as a means to protect himself against possible civil suits in this case. That's the bad news. The good news is I don't think any such civil suits have been filed against Kyle by either survivor Gage Grosskreutz or the families of Anthony Huber or Joseph Rosenbaum, and I'm not sure I would expect them to be. The arguments for civil liability would be substantially less compelling than the argument for criminal liability that he just beat. Uh, If only because the criminal prosecution was able to kind of link each use of force event together through a series of criminal charges specific to each involved victim to make this kind of complicated whole narrative from Rosenbaum all the way through to Grosskreutz. In the civil case, each of those events would essentially be considered in isolation, and each on its own merits looks wildly like lawful self-defense. Of course, it's also true that at the criminal trial, the state had the burden to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt, whereas in civil court, the plaintiff only has to disprove self-defense by a preponderance, majority of the evidence a much lower threshold than the state had. At the same time, of course, Kyle arguably has a countersuit opportunity against at least Grosskreutz. I'm not sure how that works in the context of a wrongful death suit brought by the family of Huber or Rosenbaum, but of course, their own aggressive conduct in those fights would mitigate civil liability in any case. I don't expect Kyle to initiate a countersuit. By definition, it's not been initiated if it's a countersuit, but I would expect a countersuit to be filed in response if any civil suit is filed against Kyle in the first place. It's my expectation that the civil suits in this case will continue to focus on the government of the city of Kenosha and its various agencies, particularly the police. The central argument here appears to be that the city, in effect, deputized the people like Kyle walking around armed with ARs, and so the city should be responsible for damages that result. It's not a great argument, really, but it has a couple of things going for it. Uh, First, the city has deep pockets, so plenty of money. Second, it's OPM, other people's money, meaning the politicians who might pay to settle any of these suits are not reaching into their own pockets for the payoff, they're reaching into the pockets of Kenosha taxpayers. Third, politicians love the option of spending other people's money to make their own political and legal problems go away. So it wouldn't surprise me in the least if the city of Kenosha agreed to rather lavish settlements with gross crude's or the families of Huber and Rosenbaum. It's what governmental agencies who find themselves in these circumstances tend to do. All right, folks, before I go, I also want to mention that you can join me tonight, tonight being November 21st, 2021, a Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, For the Legal Insurrection Kyle Rittenhouse Post-Trial Analysis Webinar, I'll include a link to that in the text version of today's content. If you're listening to this on audio or watching on video, then I just urge you to go to LegalInsurrection.com, and they'll have the information on how to sign into that there. That's only about an hour from when I'm recording this, so probably less than half an hour from when you actually see it online. Don't waste time. 7 p.m. Eastern Time today, November 21st, 2021. All right, folks, until then, remember, if you carry a gun, so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun, so I'm hard to kill, my family is hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law, so you're hard to convict. Until next time, I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.